Welcome to the Valley College Connection, where John Kawai and Scott Wigan, two Valley professors, engage in a conversation about success with educators and students. Each week, they'll sit down with a different guest to find out ways each of us have had to plan, persevere, and overcome to where we are now. The show will also highlight resources and services that are working to make a difference at Valley College. So we are joined today by Sabrina Luna, who's a current LAVC student, but who will be transferring to Berkeley in the fall. Thank you for sitting down with us today, Sabrina. Thank you so much for having me. We'd like to hear about your story. Absolutely. What was the path that led you here to Valley? Uh, you know, what's your experience been like here? What are you looking forward to in the future? Uh, you can take it as far back as you'd like to. Okay, so obviously I'm a little bit older. I'm non-traditional student mother to two teenage kids and have a husband who is a musician. Um, he's very successful. He uh, won three Grammys. And, wow. <laughs> and so um, in most of um, our marriage, I had been a stay-at-home mom raising my children and um, ran into a little bit of some legal trouble. Mm. And I got to really work with the lawyers and see that side and I fell in love with it and I wanted to do that. So I came here to take a paralegal class extension. Oh, okay. And then um, this lawyer came in and, and he just said, you know, I think you could do it. I think you could just go be a lawyer. Like, don't waste your time doing, doing this. And I was like, ah, I just kind of want to see. So graduated from that program and then I went to work for a lawyer. And he said the same thing. He said, mm. just go back to school. And he closed, he ended up retiring and closing his firm. And so I came back to school. And, but I had all these preconceived ideas that I wasn't smart enough. I was never a great student in high school. Uh, I didn't graduate high school because I couldn't pass basic math. Okay. So I just had it in my head that I wasn't good at math and that I was never going to be. So where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Echo Park. Um, parents were together for, you know, until I was about five and then I was taken away. My parents were addicts and um, I was in foster care for about a couple of years until my grandparents came and, mm -hmm. and pulled me out and ended up um, raising me. Mm -hmm. okay. and then I um, started playing music, started playing cello, and I auditioned for Hamilton Music Academy and made it into there. So I was bussed out of my area and into a really great school, but my academics were never there. What grade was that? What time period it was, was the cello? It was ninth grade. Ninth grade. And how yeah. did you come across the cello? Was it my father. My father is a musician. He's a composer, and um, he was trying to go back to school to learn how to you know, read and write music correctly. He was doing it all by ear. Okay. And so I would help him. He'd have to write a symphony in like three days. So I would stamp all the music, violin one, and, and I came across cello, and he's like, no, it's cello, it's ch you know, Italian. And I was like, tell me more about it. And so yeah. I would try to pick them out everywhere we went. And, and I ended up talking to a really great cellist, you know, in his um, music school that he was going to. Hmm. And was really inspired, and I just kind of fell in love with the tone. and. Yeah. So I started playing and I noticed I started getting attention okay. and people saying, you have something there, you know, it's, you're talented. So I auditioned for the Music Academy and I made it in. What was the Music Academy? What is that school? Is it? it, it well, Hamilton has three schools, Humanities Magnet, uh, all academics, and then the Music Academy, which was a new thing, you know, starting out there. And they had orchestra, string ensemble, music theory, music history, just like an, you know, arts academy. Okay. And then what was your experience there? It was, um, I was just drowning academically. Musically, I was, you know, my playing was really good. I practiced every single day. My father was um, kind of a tyrant. And so mm -hmm. he would, you know, have me practice about 12 hours a day every mm -hmm. day. So I didn't really have a childhood. And academics were not that important to him. And so coming from, you know, underprivileged, you know, poor school in, in neighborhood that I was growing up, no one cared if I was passing classes. They just shuffled me through. And when I got to Hamilton, they put me in Algebra 1, and I didn't even know my timetable. So I was kept failing it, kept failing it, and kept being in, ineligible to play. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to senior year, they just said, hey, you're not going to graduate because you didn't pass this math class. And I was just uh, destroyed. You mm -hmm. know, it was just, And so I concluded that I was not smart. Mm -hmm. And so years later, I, you know, after I had my kids and going through that legal, legal trouble with my husband, 
I said, you know, I really want to go to school. I want to see if I actually am dumb or if that was just, you know, everyone else's take or... Mm -hmm. So I enrolled here, took the math placement tests, you know, scored <laughs> below uh, the level here and as well as English. And so, which ended up being the greatest gift for me. Mm. So I got to really hone those skills and in math and also with writing, taking English 28 and then English 101. Okay. And then I found you mm -hmm. in Math 110. So was that your first semester here or had you had waited for a while to take it? Uh, that was second semester here. Okay, because I remember you came up to me very early on and said, just tell me what to do. I'll do exactly what you tell me to do, I will, right? And I remember you didn't know multiplication. Nope. I said, that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. We got to get your multiplication table. Mm -hmm. uh, under your belt, mm -hmm. three weeks, and this is the plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Told you to make flashcards, yep. learn two of these a day, three weeks were there. Right. And in three weeks you were there. Yes. Yeah, I, I have a vision board at home. I write down all the goals and everything that I want to do, and on there, and I still see it, it's like, uh, ace my integers test. <laughs> <laughs> And I just love that because I, I did. I went to the math lab every single day and you had a, a, an, an in-class tutor and that's what we worked on. Right. And I remember you were excited. So the next three, in three weeks, you would then ask me, what's next? And mm -hmm. I would say, okay, you're going to have to drill this. And I'd tell you when you'd have to know it mm -hmm. by. And you'd go off a week or two and you'd have it. And I said, okay, what's next? And that's just what we kept doing. Right. Right. Yeah. And in the beginning, you weren't getting A's, right? No. What were you getting in the beginning? I think at the beginning of your class, I got like a C minus on yeah. the first test. And then after that, it was like perfect scores. Yeah. I think once we once you learned the multiplication table, yeah. and that, that changed everything. What you find is that there's these sort of three barriers. So like if you had a parent that didn't teach you multiplication, mm -hmm. everything after third grade, we don't know if you're bad at math or not because mm -hmm. everything we call is multiplication. So um, I just find that if you're willing to learn your multiplication table, then we could take the next step. And, and by our studies, I think we about two out of five, every five students on this campus walking in doesn't know their multiplication yeah. table. And we know that half the students in this campus can't do basic arithmetic. Uh, so we know that that is the state of people coming onto this campus. Mm -hmm. So if that's you, you're, you're, you're average. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the next step was adding negative numbers. Mm -hmm. And then I remember, I said, if you can learn how to add fractions, mm -hmm. I can get you the rest of the way there. Hmm. And it's, it's really sad because those are the three skills where you require someone in your life to drill you. Yeah. Like if you don't have someone in your life that just drills you on multiplication over and over and over or sits on you with fractions, everything after that just dies on a vine. And we have plenty of students like you where they learn the multiplication table and then everything opens up. Yeah. Right. You just don't realize that, oh, it's... It's not that I'm bad at math. I'm bad at the very first skill I'm supposed to know. We don't know where I am. Right, right. Wow, what a powerful sort of reframing of, of someone's understanding of ability, which in your story, Sabrina, it's, it's, it's interesting in that you shared how you, you musically were, were very talented in pursuing that. Mm -hmm. And there's so much math that's tied so to music. So much math, and I didn't know. I right. just kind of felt everything. Right. I never counted. Mm -hmm. We right. just kind of feel when to come in. Yeah, yeah. So what, in between the time of, of, of high school, so you had been you know, studying music, you, right. you, you did not graduate high school, no. the math was the barrier. So I started um, supporting myself through okay. playing cello. We would get okay. hired to do weddings and you know, funerals, parties, whatever, up in Mulholland and, yeah. and get paid pretty well. And I would just you know, pay for my lessons myself. Okay, okay. Yeah. And do you continue to play cello to this day? Or? I can still play cello and okay. I do, uh, help my husband whenever he needs to save money <laughs> yeah, right. on not hiring a string player. Right, so, yeah. right. And what, what was your uh, experience in terms of being a parent with your teenagers, with oh. your children and seeing them go through school? Uh, did you feel like, you know, your, your sort of background in, in terms of what happened with you with school yeah. was a motivating factor for them or, or how did that play out? Because I didn't graduate um, high school, it pretty much shaped my whole outlook on education and how important it was and I didn't want that to happen to them yeah. and so I um, immediately enrolled them into preschool and at that preschool we had a um, the owner became a really good friend of mine and she said you know your kids have you considered private school for them and I was like no I went to public school I didn't grow up that way 
And she's like, I really think they're Oakwood kids. And so I went to check out the school and they said they did give grades, they mm -hmm. give report cards that are this big. Mm -hmm. And you know, the kind of parents they want theirs, there at the school is you know active. And if you don't know how your child's doing, then you don't belong in our school. Mm -hmm. And we got to talk to the sixth graders and they were saying, you know, here at Oakwood, it's healthy competition. And I was like, healthy competition? I've never heard that. What is that? <laughs> she's like, well, I know that I'm really good at math, but I'm, my writing skill is not up to par. I'm like, this is a sixth grader. My yeah. kids need to come to this school yeah. as they really cared about the whole child, self-esteem. Okay. And those were the things that I felt I lacked. I thought you had to be born with that. I didn't know that that was a skill that you know mm -hmm. I could attain. Nurtured, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, when someone had mentioned to me that like you know you have to do esteemable acts if you want mm -hmm. to have self-esteem and I'm like well what is that mm -hmm. and going back to school is one of them mm -hmm. and so what happened when your kids were taking math classes or? I couldn't help them I didn't know anything I just uh, wow it was like I just thought they were so brilliant and mm -hmm. so when I came here in your class uh, it was my daughter that was helping me with math um, 110 mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, you know she'll be putting that in her college application. <laughs> <laughs> so how was her attitude when she was working with you? Uh, they were, I think in the beginning they were a little annoyed because they didn't want to have to, you know, you know, read my, edit my paper, see where I needed a comma because they were really good at that. And mm -hmm. also like, you know, helping me with uh, fractions and mm -hmm. equations and stuff. And so she would get really impatient, but I guess they just saw me doing it every day, that they would just come and do their homework at the table as yeah. well. You would just win them over. Yeah. I, I find that story pretty common, where the, in the beginning, the kids are really bratty. It's right. Their, it's they're the like first annoyed. Moment. Yeah, it's yeah. the first moment where there's a, they have this responsibility and they're taken away from what they want. Mm -hmm. But I, I find that like as parents are just persistent with them, Right. that it, their heart changes. Right. right. And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's good for them. All right. Mm -hmm. And I think it helped my daughter. You know, she's in calculus right now, and then I said, "I'm going to take calculus too." She's like, "Oh no, <laughs> stay away from my math." <laughs> so it's become a little bit of a game. But you know, she's taking all these like amazing classes. She's one of two uh, females in her AP chemistry class, and the only person of color. So wow. it's like, I'm like, "You've won. You've already won. Just yeah. go there and and learn and enjoy the journey." Right. Right. Did, did um, they continue to stay in, in the Oakwood school? Is that yeah, through high school? Yeah, my son got accepted to CalArts. Okay. So oh, wow. A musician. Yeah. <laughs> Songwriting. Okay, wow. He's like, where's the money, Mom? Publishing, son. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Go learn how to songwrite. Mm -hmm. um, and so well, I guess so that makes sense, right? That's, they're the last people who actually can make money off of it. Right. Because right. Mm -hmm. the musicians aren't anymore. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Unless you're a huge act. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Right. And so he's at CalArts now? He'll be at CalArts in uh, September. Okay. And my daughter will be a senior uh, in September at Oakwood. Okay. Yeah, okay. who's just um, amazing, doing so well. She's in everything, student council, AP classes, just uh, very active mm -hmm. in academia. I was just going to ask, how old were your kids when you started Valley then? Well, I had been trying to come to Valley for years. So when they were really young as babies, I mm. took like a music as a business class here. Oh, okay. Ten years ago or so. Okay. And so they were really young. They kind of always knew I was off and on. But right. when I really got serious and was like started taking more classes was about two years ago. So what do you think was the biggest challenge that you had when you were at Valley? Just overcoming my own my own head and when I met you and Dr. Gold and you know Professor Scott like I'm, I'm still to this day so indebted and grateful to Valley because had they I went into Dr. Gold's office and said I want to be a lawyer and he's like okay you know um, you want to go to UCLA okay is that a good school and he's like yes mm -hmm. so had he given me like something else I probably mm -hmm. would have ended up there and He's like, you know, follow this Igetsi and, you know, take some honors classes. And I'm like, wow, that's for smart people. Honor. I don't know if that's for me. And so I would kind of try and figure it out. And, right. you know, but he was very encouraging. Mm -hmm. Everybody has been very, I always say, you know, it's like, it was like a womb here. Right. So at what point did you start feeling like you belonged in these, in these honors courses? Mm. Probably after your the math combo class. Okay, so you took the algebra one, algebra two class yes. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so the number one reason why people don't get a college degree is algebra two, wow. and then the number uh, two reason why people don't get a don't get a college degree is algebra 
one, mm-hmm. and basically you decided to take both classes in the same semester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what was that experience like? That was life changing. Those skills that I was oh, so lucky to have, I use every day. So, what what specifically did you? The practicing, practice what you want to become, and you'll become the practice. You, you know, uh, you also taught me. I didn't, and I don't know if you remember this, but you said, you know, Sabrina, you're a musician, right? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, did you start off playing concertos? No. Did, did you have to practice? Yes. Then you do the same thing mm-hmm. for the problems that you get wrong on the on the exam. That problem you practice five times. So I do everything five times over. Mm-hmm. And then were you singing in a group at that time? Or? Oh yes. Oh my God. So that's another thing. That's what really changed was uh, the group. That made me. That gave me a sense of belonging. Um, I had a group of five students, and we still keep in contact to this mm. day. And we just kind of root each other on. So wherever I go, when I went, you know, joined CCCP and then took a class at UCLA, I joined a group there as well, and we still talk to this day. And it's just like kind of lean on each other for emotional yeah. as well as, you know, the academics. Yeah, and you'll, you'll find that like the best part of college is really those relationships. Yeah. I mean, that's really what you take away from you. And that was one of the biggest things that the math combo class gave me. Mm-hmm. And, and so I feel comfortable, like when I went into stats, that's the first thing I did, was give me your number. <laughs> Didn't right, even know right. the people on the first day. And then how do you find people to study with? Well, most of the time I, I end up talking to people and I m- met this one guy in uh, Spanish too and he said he had taken like 17 units so I thought he was pretty serious. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, let's exchange numbers. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, you know, take that many units, you're, you're pretty serious here. So you can yeah. kind of tell. Like, yeah. Usually people usually sit in front. Yes, sit in people front. People are usually paying exactly. attention. Exactly. That was another thing you taught me, where to sit. And in right. high school, right. I always sat in the back, right. so right. I was going to take contrary action coming to college, do things different, and sit in the front, right in front of the podium. Yeah. I feel like that's a missed opportunity that we're not capitalizing on, is the more uh, intentional, proactive of, of coordination of study groups for students. And so we know there's all sorts of research about the benefits of it. We have people's yeah. anecdotal experiences, mm-hmm. and then you know, oftentimes they happen, you know, organically for whatever reason, or there's people, individuals like yourself who have had a positive experience and then, you you know, sort of make it happen. But on the part of, I feel like, you know, instructors, you know, maybe some do, I don't think a lot do, certainly as as an institution, we don't have any real mechanisms in place that help to coordinate that. I don't think students do it until they're in a class where they have no choice but to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the, they don't do it, like I, I give the same talk in every class, right? In mm-hmm. 110 you didn't, in, yeah. in pre-algebra you didn't have a group because you didn't have to, right? And I mm-hmm. gave the same talk there. But when you, when you take a, my, one of my calculus classes, my trade classes, or if you take one of those combo classes, yeah. basically I just walk in there and said, you're gonna find, need a friend to, to survive, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna like prove it to you. I'm gonna keep crushing you and flunking you every Monday right. until you yes. change your habits, right? And mm-hmm. it just I just walk in there and say, you have no choice but to do this. Right. Right. And then I just go about flunking them, just I'm gonna give you a test. Mm-hmm. And I will break you to the point where you will find you will need friends. <laughs> it's, yes. it's a very Asian thing. There's no like, hey, this is good for you. Hey, this is good information. Right. It was. Mm-hmm. I will make your life unhappy. Right. And, right. and then to make your life happy, you better find a friend. Yeah. Which I mean, I, I guess you know certainly that's a strategy. <laughs> but I, I'm curious, uh, uh, not to derail the conversation, I, we can come back to it. But I'm just curious about what else the college could do that would be. Uh, I don't know, structured in a different way that, that doesn't, you know, put people in the situation of having to flunk five tests or whatever it is, you know, before they come to the realization that I need support. Like, how does that get built into what we do? So we have, you know, tutoring, we have embedded tutoring. We have these different pieces that we, we keep trying to wrap around students to help them be successful. But I feel like from my position in the tutoring centers, the study thing is, is the one that, that's oftentimes missing. We have different areas like STEM, for example, you definitely see people congregate together for that. And perhaps it is just because of the it's difficulty of the, the, yeah. the, the subject matter. Yeah. But it's like, we know that those are best practices. How do we how do we replicate that for other students in other areas to say like, no, there's this real benefit of coming together and using each other as a support system. I don't know if it's testimonials from students like you or- Probably, you yeah. Know, how else do that, you That's know? what I, you yeah. had a, in-class tutor and you said just go do you know your homework with her so that's what I did every yeah. single day as soon after class immediately you said the info is still fresh in your in your brain so that's what I do that's what I do for everything that's a little bit difficult mm-hmm. immediately go right after mm-hmm. rewrite your notes are you still making flashcards yes absolutely <laughs> I just made them for my anthropology <laughs> 
So you mentioned Dr. Gold, and was it just by uh, happenstance that you had yeah. his office as, yes. as sort of the uh, tap counselor to yeah. super connected? <laughs> it was just that. I was, you know, at the um, paralegal academy here on campus and just ran across to go, and he was in his office, and, you know, he's like, what do you want to do? I want to be a lawyer. Okay, this is what you're going to do. This is where you're going to go. He's like, where'd you go to high school? I didn't get my high school diploma. Well, go get your high school diploma. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went back and did that. Okay. And so what did you get your GED through here? No, no GED. I went back and got high school diploma. So I had to take a class at Burbank um, Adult School. Mm-hmm. And it was it was amazing. And was that while you were taking classes yeah. at Valley too? So you were there yeah. as well. Wow. I did it in, um, in winter. Okay. Yeah. And then you had mentioned the CCCP program. What is that? Yes. So uh, the Center for Community uh, College Partnerships, that was something that you told me about because I told you that I wanted to go to UCLA. And you said, if you're serious about wanting to go there, join the CCCP. And so I went home and Googled what that was and all this stuff from like Russia popped up. (laughs) I was like, what? He wants me to go to Russia? (laughs) And uh, so then I found them in the office after coming out of Dr. Gold's office. And I met um, Jewel, uh-huh. who ended up becoming, you know, I still, I'm gonna see her on Thursday. You know, mm-hmm. she, I've just known her for two years. and So she's our uh, liaison with UCLA, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who enrolls students into the yeah. CCCP pro- program. Uh-huh. She's just an extraordinary human being, always giving, like, uh, I, you know, I could go to her with anything. I, if I had a fear, you know, from mm-hmm. my symbolic logic, I'm like, I, I gotta see minus on this, and I have to get to UCLA, breathe. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. One proof at a time, one class at a time. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they it just gave me the skills and everything, what I needed to know in order to transfer mm-hmm. to UCLA to mm-hmm. make that dream a reality. And then I had the opportunity of actually taking a class there. It was Chicana, Chicano Studies. And um, we got to do a real research paper and interview um, 1968 walkout. Um, students that walked out in 1968 with Sal Castro out mm-hmm. of like Garfield and mm-hmm. all these schools to you know protest their conditions there, not being you know being tracked and not passed. You know one of the uh, one of the civil rights leaders, uh, Paula, she was taking geometry and she went up to her teacher and he said, "Oh Paula, you know you're going to get pregnant and you're not going to even like you know do this math. So why should I help you?" And so it helped me reconcile my past because, you know, I was kind of tracked and I kept being sent to like different lower Mm -hmm. math and Mm -hmm. not, you know, I wasn't allowed to do music. If my father hadn't been such a tyrant, he like raised hell when he went over Mm -hmm. to Virgil Junior High School where I went and said, no, my daughter's not going to go to calligraphy or home ec, wherever they wanted me to go. She's Mm going to do music. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so they said, fine. You know, they were just annoyed. So when you went to um, UCLA and took the class, do they have any coaches or? Yes, so the CCCP, uh, you take the class, I think it was like 11 to two, we were in the class, and then from two to six, you're with the CCCP. So they teach you how to take notes, they teach you what a research paper is, and then they teach you all about UCLA, they bring in different speakers. Um, We had financial aid department come in and talk to us, and we've had, you know, people who, who learn how to, you know, teach us how to give speeches and stuff. We've had all that. Just a whole bunch of tra- training. Yeah, I was in a previous incarnation of that um, back when it was part of AAP, which was mm-hmm. sort of the uh, race-based. Uh, so I wasn't eligible because Japanese are considered not minorities, but you could pay to be part of that. So they, mm-hmm. it was for minorities and students who were really bad. <laughs> marginal students, the marginal students who UCLA said, yeah, I guess we've got a space, we'll let you in. Right. So I was able to get there, it, it changed me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that there's a strategy to studying. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That there's actually a technique there and mm-hmm. it's, it's, more, it's more of a game than anything else. Mm-hmm. And if you just understand how to strategize when to study, how to study, mm-hmm. right, that you can just play the game better than other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how long is that program? Is it a one-year program, two-year program? It's a one-year program, program that okay. I did for two years. Yeah. Okay. And did you stay at UCLA? Was that the part of it? Is there a part where you stay overnight in the dorms at the summer? There, I, there, so there's different um, there's different groups that you can join. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did Site Plus, which is you take an actual class okay. at UCLA. And then the year before, I had done the parenting site, where okay. you stay in a dorm for three days. Oh, wow. Which is really fun. They had one just for parents? Yes, just for parents. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. 
Wow. Great experience. Did you meet other parents also? Uh, absolutely, and they're all there now. So it's like wow. I have a whole community at UCLA. So it's really struggling with the decision of where to go. Sure. I mean, that makes me so happy because, you know, when I was there, we just didn't see non-traditional students. Yeah. Having a group study and, like, mm -hmm. it really, like, I, I now, that's what I do everywhere I go, try to make a community, try to mm -hmm. find people like-minded, and that's what I found with the CCCP and all of the students. We were in a group. Uh, our group chat is so big that we have to use a special app, to mm -hmm. group me, mm -hmm. okay. to, to all be on there. And we just like, you know, we'll just send texts during the day, like, I believe in you guys, like positive quotes and stuff. Wow. And that's something that I learned here um, is to, you know, be cognizant of what I'm feeding my brain. You know, I'm, I want to make sure that I'm always listening to something positive and uplifting. Mm -hmm. I think I heard Oprah say that whenever she gets into a car, she doesn't want the news on or anything. It's like, so I'll wake up and listen to Tony Robbins or something and, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of get myself into that frame of mind of mm -hmm. like attacking goals and, and just trying to be the best that I can. It's a, it's a really, uh, as you're describing your, your story, uh, I think, uh, incredible transition yeah. that you made from what you had initially believed about your ability with math to, to the way you're looking at, at the world now and this very intentional approach right. to sort of self-esteem and, and, yes. and sort of what hard work and, and yeah. all these different things factor into with success. What, so I'm, I'm curious with that first Math 110 class that you had with, with Dr. Kawai, um, how, how quickly did that transition happen? I mean, how much how long did it take for you to sort of, of, of realize that, oh, wait a second, like, I, I can do this? And, and what did that feel like? Mm. Was it the first test that you got an A on? Or, yes. Or, okay. So the first test when I got a C minus, um, I was like, see, I knew it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then I think I talked to you. Right, we talked about it. Uh -huh. What do I do? What do I do? And mm -hmm. then you gave me the steps to do them. And so I remember, like, going to bed that night and having a sleepless night and, and just kind of thinking, like, battling with myself and then just deciding, you know, I'm not going to think those thoughts anymore because they took me this far and mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I'm going to try something new. I'm mm -hmm. going to try his way. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the math lab and just did all those steps and things. And that's what I learned, you know, in all my classes, pretty much that's what the syllabus is. It tells you how to get an A. Mm -hmm. So if you want an A, you do all these, all these, you know, steps that the, your professor has line, outlined for you to do mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. syllabus. and. Every professor that I've had was always willing to work with me if I was willing to do the work. And I learned quickly that grades, you know, didn't necessarily mean measure intelligence. So right. it was the amount of work I'm willing to put in. And, right. and that's something that told myself what coming here, just going to do the work no matter what, right. never stop coming. Right. Like I would walk from the parking lot to class and I would think, what if I you know, drop, fell on a rock and like broke my leg or something, still come to class. What if I'm feeling sick, you know, emergency, go to class, drink the drink, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of, you know, always having to talk to myself, be my own coach kind of. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, before I came to school, another thing that my mother had passed away, she had overdosed. And so mm -hmm. I had gained all this weight and I was like working on a treadmill and I was crying and I was like, I was missing my mom. And then I heard so very clearly in my head her saying, why are you crying for me? I've lived my life already. I did what I need to do. You're alive still, go live. Mm -hmm. Are you living? And it made me look at my life. Am I living? No, I'm not living. I'm not being all I can be. I'm not living up to my fullest potential, so I just really want to try. So I'm going to do what the professors say, what everyone, you know, if you say go to the math lab, and I did for a math combo class, I was there from, I think class ended at 10.30, we would go meet with our tutor for an hour and then go do homework in the math lab. My husband would pick me up at 7 p.m. when it closed, right. do yeah. all my homework here. Like, right. It was a full-time job. It really was. I mean, it, it is 10 hours of yeah. class and 30 hours of study. Yeah. And I own all your weekends. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and right after I took the final, I was so sick for two weeks after that. <laughs> <laughs> I was in bed. Yeah. It's but my, it, I felt it, so proud that I had done that. Yeah. It was the greatest experience that I, I had here. It's my favorite class to teach. Because when you're teaching calculus, you're teaching good students and you're pushing them to another level, which is great. Mm -hmm. But then for this class, you're, you're basically giving students who never believe themselves the hardest class you can possibly take, the biggest jump you can possibly take. 
And then if they can do that, they can do anything. Like once they do that, like every other class is not a big deal. And that's mm -hmm. how I felt. Like mm -hmm. the next class to tackle was symbolic logic. And that was, a, you know, really scary for me. Yeah. So I just used, because I had just done your class the semester before, so I did what I did there, practice right. proofs. If All there's right. no practice proofs, I asked the professor for practice proofs. So he would give me like four. I'd go home and work on them, come back and show mm -hmm. him. Nope, you're not, you know, and that's, that's just what I do with everything that's difficult. And um, I try to stay out of my own head and just take the necessary action to just be in the moment, be, you know, one proof at a time, just mm -hmm. try to learn, try to see stuff. And then also, you know, you taught us too that we need to rest our brain. So there's like right. a strategy sprint, to, right. yeah, to study. You don't mm -hmm. just go there and study for like, you know, five hours straight. I'm 20 minutes on. 20 minutes off, go do something fun, mm -hmm. yeah. social media, whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you find out that uh, an average college student can only focus for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you go mm -hmm. 20, 45 minutes and you take 10, 15 minutes uh, off. You do in your break the things that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. I think the Asian way is you haven't finished your day, feel guilty for 15 minutes. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, so with my kids, I do the same thing. My mom watches, you know, how can they play video games? <laughs> Like, they're going to be studying a ridiculous amount of hours. Mm -hmm. So their fun has to come in between in little bits. They put a timer on. How, how does that play out in your classes? Do you use that same, you know, sort of strategy as far as, you know, 20 minutes of, I I've got your attention, I'm going to give you a five-minute break with a TED video, or, or is there any... I should, but I don't, just because the problem with math, and you talk to any math teacher, we don't have enough time to teach everything. So even when you start doing the college-level classes, mm -hmm. I, I have to walk up there and say, just so you know, I'm going to cover 80%. The rest of the 20% is you reading the book and figure it out. Like, there's just not enough time to cover every little detail. Mm -hmm. So we could take a 10-minute little break and do, a, do something uplifting, mm -hmm. but then that's just 10 extra just minutes that they're going to have to figure out at home. So right. in, the, in, the, in the math classes, it just sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. they're good for 20 minutes. At 45, you see them fidgeting. Mm -hmm. That last 20 minutes... Their brain's just dead, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we push through so, so they at least have the notes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, t I tell a lot of jokes. I mean, part yeah. of part of that is when I start to see it get dead. I do a lot of I, I tell a lot of stories, mm -hmm. pop culture, mm -hmm. history, mm -hmm. advice. Mm -hmm. So like, what I try to do is have these small little interludes between topics mm -hmm. to just let people laugh. Right, right. Break the tension a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so it's not anything focus. formal, right. but I could sort of see when when I'm starting to lose them. Like let's yeah. let's let's do a, a little five minute riff. Mm -hmm. So I spent I, so in terms of teaching, I spent a lot of time listening, reading, trying to make connections that are unique that they haven't heard, mm -hmm. um, just so they can have these little respites, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you read my my rate my professor, a lot of them says, "Hey, tells great uh, tells great stories," mm -hmm. or one star. Like tells extremely long, boring stories. Like, yeah, yeah. That's it's all in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're flunking, it's boring. Right. If you're passing, it's great. Right, it's great. Right, yeah. right, right. And then, how did statistics turn out? Because I remember that was the big fear. That you was didn't, a huge fear. You didn't you didn't know the teacher coming in. And was this two twenty seven or st statistics one hundred one? Statistics one hundred one. Okay. So I tried to take her class uh, one semester, and it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, my grandmother was and. We thought she was going to pass. She was 95, I think, at the time. And um, so I was taking care of her and mm -hmm. just, like, split between the kids. And so mm -hmm. I had done really poorly on, on one of the first exams, and it was an open book, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, exam. And so I just went and saw her immediately, you know, what do I got to do? What do I, and, mm -hmm. and I know what I have to do. So we thought it would be, you know, in my best interest to drop the class and just handle, you know, mm -hmm. my, my family first. And right. so that's what I did. Then I came back the next semester, and everything was okay. I made sure everything was out of the way so mm -hmm. that I could really, you know, give myself the proper amount of time to reach my fullest potential to do well in the class, mm -hmm. um, to set myself up for success because I hadn't before. Right. And right. so... Same instructor? Same instructor. Okay. And who was this? Dr. Raskoff. Ah, Dr. Raskoff. And so... I would run into her office every morning before the test. I would get to class. She's there at 7 a.m., so I'd be there by 7.30, so that way I could start reviewing from, you know, the night before, whatever is going to go over. You always talked about looking at the material more than once, so right. I try to do that everywhere I go mm -hmm. and um, try to read a little bit ahead so mm -hmm. what's going to happen and then, you know, refresh on what we just did. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I did that with her, and every exam I would have a test anxiety and go see her the minute... She'd see me, she'd say, take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and we'd breathe together and I and you know lo and behold I was holding my breath <laughs> so I was so stressed and right. she was so calm I think I even forgot my calculator for like one of them I was so frazzled mm -hmm. and like afraid of central tendency and a variability and I got through it and mm -hmm. When I started doing well on every test, coming back, A, 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 then she, you know, the day before the final, or the day of the final, I walked into her office, I always see her before mm -hmm. big exams. She's such a positive light, and mm -hmm. it's good to get that before you take yeah. an exam. Yeah, yeah. right. And um, she said, hey, would you like to be my tutor? And that changed everything. I was like skipping to go take my final <laughs> for <laughs> statistics. I was, I text my husband immediately, I'm like, can you believe this high school non-grad who couldn't pass math will be a statistics tutor? And I just like, oh, I felt really good about the final after that. I just like killed yeah, it. Yeah. And so when I get to tutor these students, they're like, oh, I wish I was as smart as you, Sabrina. I always tell them, you already are. Mm -hmm. It's already in you. Mm -hmm. Let's pull that out. Right. You know, right. in my sessions, I always tell them, we're safe here. Mm -hmm. There are no dumb questions. And I know people say that, mm -hmm. but I had a tutor, and I think for the math combo class, we, um, we were doing the nth term, mm -hmm. and he's like, what is the nth term? What is the nth term? And I'm like, oh, I was so like, oh, oh, oh. and he's like, oh. <laughs> so I always tell that story. That's a great <laughs> I tell that story to them, so you can say, oh, here, okay? I'm not gonna look at you crazy. Right. Say whatever you need to say, we'll get through it. All right. So how much extra studying have you had to do to, in order to tutor the class? A lot, a lot. Is it shocking? It's yes. like taking the class all That's, over again? It really is. Right? Because yeah. now you have to know it at an A-plus level. Right. Because at the first time I went in, I, some of the kids didn't come back. They were like, uh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm. I'm like, no, come back. <laughs> no, I promise. <laughs> it was just my first time. <laughs> Please. Mm. Yeah. How many semesters have you been doing the tutoring? Just this semester. This is your first semester yeah, as a tutor? Yeah, first okay. semester. Great. Yeah, I was Great. really afraid to do it. And, you know, you battle with your old thoughts. They come back. They creep yeah. up. But you have to remind yourself that was then. This is now. Right. We're right. going to do it. Uh, you know, growth is on the other side of fear. And yeah. I want to grow. So yeah. how have you, how has it been making mistakes in front of people? I'm very comfortable. Now you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I got to see that with a lot of tutors mm -hmm. and with professors. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. they'll make, a, you know, one of my professors, he ended our class with like, he couldn't figure out a proof. So mm -hmm. he's like, I hate to end it this way, but I can't do it. <laughs> so it's like, we're human. Yeah, right. And it's right. okay to be human. Right. That's such a powerful message to be able to communicate to other students. Yeah. For them to see that, that yeah, it's okay not no to have all the answers. No one has it all together, yeah. you know. And I like the, the, I think the best part of this podcast is that Every class we talk about starts with a C minus on my first test. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right? Yeah. And there's something really great about saying, let me take a class I'm, I don't think I'm ready for, but let me just take a big swing. Mm -hmm. And you take your big swing, and then you ask afterwards, all right, what am I not, right. what do I do next? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, uh, you shared your experience at, at UCLA, John, in the program, and, and the language that you used to describe it was that you saw that it was a, there was a strategy you know, behind studying, and it was mm -hmm. almost a game to it in a way. You know, it's uh, it's interesting language to use in, in terms of sort of reframing it. As you were discussing sort of what you had shared with Sabrina with her music, it, it's that kind of similar language in, in the sense of you've already been successful, incredibly successful at something. You didn't start off knowing how to do it. Mm -hmm. It was these skills that you had to build. But once we're able to, to familiarize students with the fact that there's nothing wrong with their and to steal this sort of metaphor from Hunter Motz, who, who we've worked with before, um, there's nothing wrong with the hardware for people's brains. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, I don't, you, you probably know the statistic closer than I do, but something like less than 3% of the population have a severe learning disability. I mean, that doesn't mean that they can't learn something anyways, but there's nothing wrong with people's hardware. It's their software, it's their beliefs about their ability yes. to do things. And so when we tell these stories or we're able to make connections for students to say, you've been incredibly successful at this, you automated it to the point that you forgot that you even had to learn it. Yes. So all the, the fingerings that you have to do on the cello and the wrist mm -hmm. movement and the timing and the rhythm, all that stuff, you have all that. You did it, you can learn anything. Right. It, it's the translation of one skill to another that, you know, once for most people when they internalize that they can't do something and they have this belief that I wasn't born that way or I've yes. failed too many times to turn the corner even though we've had success and other things is like such a huge jump to make it's it, but it's it seems so 
it's such a, a powerful story that you share with it. And you so casually sit here and talk about all the strategies and ways that you approach things now and that you work through things now that really highlights to me that it's not that, um, it's not that these things are impossible for students. No, but it's, it's about patterns, right? right? People smoke because they're just used to smoking. Mm -hmm. I'm fat because I'm used to eating fatty foods and I don't exercise. Mm -hmm. That's just my pattern. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if we take one of the examples from Sabrina, right? She reads, she reads ahead of what the teacher's going to what the teacher is going to lecture on. That way, in lecture, she can ask the she can ask the questions of what she didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. most students are going to study at the end of the week, mm -hmm. on the weekend, mm -hmm. and they're going to forget everything that happened during lecture. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have the same experience, but it's after the lecture, so they can't ask a question. Mm -hmm. So the amount of time it takes you to read a chapter that you're lost on takes exactly the same amount whether you heard the lecture or if you do it at the end of the end of the week. Mm -hmm. It's just all about the habit of saying, well, let me just do it before the lecture. Mm -hmm. So when the lecture happens, I ask the questions of what I don't know, mm -hmm. rather than going home and being lost and have no one to ask. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. that saves you steps. Right, right. Right, so it's all about a time saving. Mm -hmm. So when you go, I, I, read my sec I, look at, I read my section before the lecture, right? Other people normally think, oh, um, wow, that's really time consuming. You're like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. It's time consuming to not do that. Mm -hmm. But you could explain that to someone. Someone could understand that logically. But then Sabrina's one of the few students who'll go, well, then I'll just do that. Right. Yeah, I guess that's what the, the, that I'm... I'm uh... There's just this habit thing, right? Yeah. Right. I know how to lose weight. Right. I just don't do it. Right, right. And I guess to some extent it begs the question of how important is it to the individual, right? right. And so you can live your life as, you, as we all live our lives with particular patterns and say, like, I'm okay with this pattern. You know, but for you, from what you're describing, being in the situation with being in school that, and, and being successful in school, that it, it didn't seem like you know that was an option. Yeah, it's a question. To, to not be successful. Yeah, it's a question it was like how a, much do you hate where you are? Right. That's a different way of framing huh? it. I said that's a different way of phrasing it. Yeah. Well, this, yeah. that's why, like, when we talk about groups, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to do, and I and I get that my giving you advice, my giving you a forum, my letting you work together, you still won't do it. But until I make you unhappy, you know, habits, habits only change if you're unhappy. So that's why I'm pretty darn, I'm pretty darn frank about you should be unhappy this weekend. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're flunking and you should be unhappy. That's, that's by decision. And I'm going to tell you what, exactly what to do to make your life better. That's an interesting sort of take on motivation. Huh? Right. Because we're talking about motivation. Right. Right, and, and what, what are the, the levers and triggers that sort of motivate people to do different things? Right. Um, and, and, you know, you're, as you're describing it, it, it it's, there's an aspect of, of motivation that's tied to, to you know, to, to some extent sort of reward and punishment. Right? right, but I think the difference for me is that there's not a helplessness. I'm going to show you my standard as soon as possible because I want you to flunk my class as soon as possible. I want you to feel every bit of what it feels like to be unsuccessful in this class, and then you'll listen to me. Mm -hmm. If I wait, right, if I wait a month and a half and then I flunk you, it's too late. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. usually, right, it's, it's all about this is what you need to do in my class. I'm going to prove to you that, that what you think is not enough. And, you know, and then you find out pretty, pretty soon who will move because you kicked them. And that, that's that philosophy or spirit of, you know, fail forward, fail fast, fail often, right? Fail right away so you know what it is, but yeah. then also know that you're not stuck there. Yeah. That, that sort of learned helplessness is the internalization of the fact that I can't do it. Right. So I think mm -hmm. what you have to do is you have to pair it with the solution. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is here's a solution, here's your consequence. Dig your way out. Right. And, and you'll hear that from a lot of, um, you know, CEOs and Steve Jobs, Elon mm -hmm. Musk, mm -hmm. very comfortable failing. Right. Right. It's just information. And that's something you taught in the class, too. If we had a bad grade, you said, just leave it out on your desk. In the math combo class, we did. Mm -hmm. So if we got a bad grade on our test, well, bad for me, it would have probably been a B minus or C. Mm -hmm. And and we, we left it there. And someone said, what did you get on that one? And we just became so close mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we no longer were afraid to show like imperfections, you know? And that, that fear of, of sort of showing that we failed at something, you know, is tied to, to you know, the feeling of shame. Right. And that when people are ashamed of something, they hide it. Right. Right. And, and because the shame is tied to the fact that people have internalized the fact that they think that they're stupid. And, and I still fail. I failed a philosophy yeah. test, and that's my major. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was, it was information. That's a, and I just started laughing when mm -hmm. I saw it because I knew I didn't put in the, you know, the requisite work that mm -hmm. needed to mm -hmm. get that. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, my grandmother right. had passed, right. and we were doing a lot of things, and, and I was just juggling. So I had to be strategic. Yeah. 
and let the class go. I didn't need it, it but still, you know. Um, just, doesn't feel good. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel good, but I'm also not ashamed. And I got to share that with the stat students. That even I got accepted to UC Berkeley, you know, mm-hmm. it's like this mm-hmm. still can happen to you if you do this. Mm-hmm. Don't do that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'll need my grades to say, hey, hello, you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that's how mm-hmm. it gets my attention. You know, I'm like spread thin between kids and balancing everything. I'm getting senioritis too, so <laughs> you have to be like, still stay on. All right. You gotta All right. finish strong, it's a marathon. So why did you choose Berkeley? Because I'm afraid of Berkeley. I'm afraid <laughs> to move away and I know just that everything that I've been afraid to do, like the math combo class, something great is on the other side of that. And it's usually growth. And it just adds more to who I am. And I'm trying to build this machine because I want to be a lawyer. So how can I be the best lawyer possible for my clients? And that's to, you know, get out of my comfort zone. Sure. So how is this going to work with your family and your marriage? Yeah. So that's a, they're just go. My daughter's, my daughter, she was sobbing when I got accepted. And it's like, this was somebody who sat there and helped me with my timetables, doing the flashcards for me, getting mad when she had to edit. So it was just as much her accomplishment as well as mine. Mm-hmm. And she said, you have to go, mom. You have to make a legacy for me, you know, wow. in case I want to be there. Yeah. And she's like, but I don't know, maybe I want to go to Columbia. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, think that way. Yeah. And then what did your husband say? You have to go. Did you see what it's it's ranking? You know, he's like showing me all the rankings. Right, right. He sounds Asian. I know, <laughs> Mexican. <laughs> he's like, you have to go. And UCLA, um, it you know, I know it's hard. It's like I felt it in you know summer school where there was Berkeley students and there was UC students, and you know you definitely feel the imposter syndrome. You feel all those things, but they're just feelings. Feelings mm-hmm. aren't facts. You know, you just. You know, you can you can marinate on them and then let it prevent you from doing, or you could just let it pass. And I try to let it pass and just try to just get back to taking action. Mm-hmm. And what kind of law are you hoping to practice? Um, I wanted to do patent law, but you have to be a STEM major to do that. And so the closest thing to that is uh, intellectual property oh, good. litigation. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be with inventors and like. That's great. With your background in music, though, and your husband yeah. too, it seems like intellectual property is probably a good the best a way good to go. Fit. Yeah, yeah. To protect him. Yeah. <laughs> So you go to you'll go to Berkeley as a philosophy major. As a philosophy major, okay. yes. Okay. And then what's the strength of the of the philosophy major? What are the strengths? Yeah. Um, a lot of logic, critical thinking, which is really good for the LSAT, which mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. new now bigger goals, and and bigger es- stuff on the vision board. A lot mm-hmm. of essay writing. A lot of essay writing, mm-hmm. yeah. critical mm-hmm. thinking, coming at something. You know, in philosophy, we all you don't necessarily get the answers, but you know where not to look for them. Right. Hmm. It's kind of the same as law. And then the reading, like I'll read something a hundred times and not understand and go see my professor. What is he talking about? Oh, you know, it's it's just this theory or that, you know, and that's kind of how law is. Yeah. I, I think people don't give philosophy majors as much credit as possible. Oh, yeah. Especially uh, Republicans and conservatives. <laughs> right. But um, I saw a philosophy that. <laughs> major is one of the best trainings you can have. If you're going to go to liberal arts, they make the most money out of any other liberal arts field. They make more money than chemistry majors, mm-hmm. almost as much money. I think more money than biology majors also. Wow. Um, because that training of logic, yeah. essay writing, mm-hmm. just how rigorous it is, it's how much reading you have to do. So, so if you just look at the basic skill you pick out in order to be a philosophy major, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, there's no, you don't, the first job is, is usually undefined. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know, like, what's your first job? I don't know. Yeah. But the upside potential for mm-hmm. philosophy majors are really high once you get in somewhere. And it's, I'm not good at it. It's not uh, something that comes naturally. It's something that I have to work really hard for, but mm-hmm. I love it. That's all I want to do. What have been some of your favorite philosophy professors or classes at Valley? Well, definitely all of them that I've had. Dr. Kanor was life-changing. He, um, I still talk to him every day, and I probably will talk to him while I'm at Berkeley just for like help. He helps with so much. He's the one who, you know, helped me through symbolic logic, which is, was very difficult outside my comfort zone. And so I had to change strategies and how I approached that class. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Placencia is just brilliant. And, you know, I've taken probably my favorite class is modern philosophy. And it's basically about consciousness. Mm-hmm. The, um, 
the the mind outside the brain mm -hmm. and those are things that I'm very interested in going up to Berkeley you know it's really close to all these tech mm. places and uh, you know they're implementing a lot of the artificial intelligence from a lot of the research coming from Berkeley and Stanford for you know um, consciousness right ethics right. and stuff well I think there was a time where technology was all about being techie because the computers were so slow, it was just about how much faster can we get a chip, right? Mm. Now we've gotten to the point where we just have too many cycles and too much throughput. We don't have to worry about a faster chip. And what we're, what we're trying to figure out now is what is sort of the, the, the rules that surround our technology, mm. right? Right, right? What are the rules of what we should and should not do and what is allowable and what isn't allowable? And you can just sort of see all the big companies like Facebook struggling right. with that. Yeah, these bigger ethical yeah. questions. Yeah, it's not um, a question of, huh, my Facebook loads very slow. Like, it loads fine. Mm -hmm. I can get it everywhere. Now the question is, what should it be? Right. And I think you're really entering a really exciting phase where, where you could be really entrepreneurial with mm -hmm. your skills yeah. in this area. I think it's great. I think it's a great place for publishing, for also just corporate work. I think it's a really great entry right now. How exciting. Very. You mentioned one other professor, Professor Scott, the anthropology professor? Uh, she, it was my um, TAPS uh, counselor. Ah, oh, oh yeah. right, right, okay. So I had her in that. She's uh, one of the first people to say, oh, it'll happen, you'll get into UCLA. Okay, okay. Trust me, it'll happen. Yeah. What's, what's TAPS? TAPS, a transfer, oh, TAPS. Okay. Yeah, yeah. transfer alliance program, the honors program. Right, here. right. So if, if anyone listening wants to go to UCLA, the keys are this. Get in the honors program, yes. right? Because eighty percent of our students who join the honors program get into UCLA, and then the other twenty percent. It's not that they're flunking out; mm -hmm. they're going Ivy League, they're mm -hmm. going to USC, they're going to Berkeley, they're going to other schools. Mm -hmm. So, if you want to go to UCLA and want to be paced by other students with the same goal, go to TAP, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is the CCCP program. Yes. And as you're describing it too, the clearly the CCCP program isn't just for UCLA. I mean, yeah. so obviously it's connected to UCLA, but it's right. sort of that broader UC sort of program or, or giving Absolutely. you the experience. And we have students that are, I think one of them, he's going to Brown okay. and he was in the CCCP. You've shared all sorts of, I, I just, you know, I was taking all sorts of notes along the way. You, you, you've shared so much with us um, from your story to advice to other students. Is there any final thoughts that you would like to? Yeah, I just want to, tell students that if I could do it, they can do it. Don't give up. Just keep working. You know, I may not be the smartest person in the class, but no one is going to outwork me. Do what I need to do to get to where I need to go. I will tell you that you're not alone. It, there are many, you know, I have a, a large number of students who cannot multiply who come here who say I will be a different person, and they are. Mm -hmm. And it's been a really great honor to be your teacher, so thank you thank so much. Thank you so much for everything. It's an honor to have you. Thank you for sharing your story, Sabrina. Thank you.